1: Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store.
2: Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. This is Bennett Kelly, your host, and um, please be seated. And uh, we have a great show for you today. Um, We hope you enjoyed last week's Silicon Beach debate and that it was informative for you. Uh, Mail in voting has already begun, so look for this to be a hard fought and close finish in that um, race to fill Congressman Waxman's seat in the 33rd Congressional District covering Silicon Beach. I suspect it will be Ted Liu and Elon Carr in the runoff, but I wouldn't rule out other candidates sneaking in. I also want to say congratulations to Stan Stahl and ISSALA on a very successful sixth annual Cybersecurity Summit. Um, Stan's been on a number of times, you may recall, and um, during the summit, I had the chance to sit with District Attorney Lacey at lunch, and she is really making cybercrime a priority of her administration. Um, so it was great to talk to her. I have another shout out to my fellow internet lawyers who will be participating in the biannual cyber law leadership summit in Las Vegas this week. And that'll be starting um, tomorrow and Friday. So not only are these a great group of people, but I've learned a lot from them. And I'm looking forward to the next two days um, going over what is the latest in cyber law. Um, Another shout out to my Los Angeles Clippers. Um, You put up a good fight and here's to another season as L.A.'s team. And the first with an owner that represents what L.A. stands for today. Um, We are an ethnically diverse city where people speak 224 languages. We are the city of America's future, and it's time to say goodbye to Donald and the past. I actually will be speaking with one of the NBA owners, um, former Facebook executive uh, Chris Kelly, at the upcoming IP and the Internet conference at Lux Sunset Hotel on June 12th. Um, That's sponsored by the California Bar Bar IP section. And you can hear from me, um, Chris Kelly, Ian Ballin, and other top internet practitioners and thought leaders on the latest in the cyber law and business. Hey, that kind of sounds like this show, doesn't it? Um, Except it's an all-day event. So check out the details on the California Bar IP section website. And um, I hope you consider attending. It's it's. It's always been a good program in the past. I want to give a shout out to Kashmir Hill for her continued reporting on Bitcoin usage, including a recent article on strippers taking Bitcoin in San Francisco, only in San Francisco. And then there was another Forbes article on gun um, gun shops taking um, Bitcoin in Texas, again only in Texas. But um, we'll be talking. Um, today with uh, Cy Lowell, who is the author of a new book called Jasper's War that is um, that is being used to help veterans recover from traumatic injuries, um, enable them to um, get asked to communicate on the web, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more fully. And as you know, Monday is Memorial Day, and we hear... Uh, we here at, at Cyber Law and Business Report salute the men and women in uniform who have served this country and the many who have paid the ultimate price to protect our freedoms. And um, so on we'll, Memorial Day, I always think of uh, my, my great-uncle Thomas Kelly, who died on October 15, 1918, in France, just as World War I was closing. So Memorial Day is about remembering the past – And the big news this week comes from Europe and the right to be forgotten. As the European Court of Justice declared that Google could be ordered to remove links under certain circumstances. And that has triggered a lot of debate and a lot of discussion um, over just what those circumstances should be and will be. Um, The details of the ruling are – it's actually somewhat of a technical ruling – um, most of the discussion was whether or not um google was a data collector and processed data so that it was subject to the eu data collection um directive and um basically what it seems will be occurring is google um can determine whether or not it is to remove links um that uh, upon request to be forgotten um but you know the, it can also defer to The privacy um, officers for the jurisdiction that question. In this case, it originally arose from Spain, and to let them decide whether removal is in the public interest or not. And some suspect that what Google may do is actually defer many requests to the public authorities for that very reason. And. and so it, it also begs the question, what is, obt- what is achieved by having a right to be forgotten? The plaintiff in this case, um, who no one had heard of before, is now internationally known, and everyone knows the very thing that he wanted to be forgotten about was that in 1990s, he had certain property that was subject to auction for his failure to pay debts. Well, we now all know that, <laughs> and it is a classic example of the um, Streisand complex where you, um, in order to uh, raise an issue that you don't want people to focus on, and in doing so, cause the entire Internet community to focus on it. And um, so we're going to have another segment where we will have um, some EU um, knowledgeable guests on to talk about the ruling and what it means going forward. And, and just exactly how will it be implemented? Because the implementation isn't really quite clear. And so it is somewhat of a landmark ruling, and there are a lot of concerns about the right to be forgotten, for, and particularly the fact that some of the initial um, Google has seen a, a big increase in the number of requests since the ruling came down. And some of them are from child predators. So one guy is a, he, he's, um, wants to remove links relating to his attempt to murder um you know, someone he had been cyber-stalking. I mean, these are very disturbing things. Are these things that we want um, scrubbed clean from the Internet? And, um, you know, obviously, you, we've talked a lot about how the Internet can also be a source of information and disinformation. Um, but is this the way to combat um, some of those issues? Is this the way to protect people's privacy by removing information? And I think that needs to be discussed more fully. Um, again, uh, to what extent the NSA um, played an issue that that whole scandal, which is now in its um, first anniversary, we just passed it since the Snowden leaks became real. You know, to what extent is is EU re- recoiling and actually trying to re- reassert itself on the privacy plane? You know that that remains to be seen. And they, they, the analysts were saying it certainly wasn't a non-factor. And I know that's a double negative, but it seemed to be appropriate. But um, and so we were going to have to, we we're going to talk about that a little more fully. Uh, and another big development on this side of the pond um, was the FCC moving forward with what it's, what's been called various names from pay to play to its fast track um, proposal to allow arrangements such as Netflix has with Comcast where it, it more or less pays. A, uh, a heightened fare to allow it to stream its content on a priority basis to um, Comcast's subscribers. And um, the, it's drawn a lot of criticism because the whole notion of, because is the anathema, really to the whole notion of what net neutrality is. Now, Chairman Wheeler has said that he does not view the two as inconsistent and has drawn a lot of criticism for that. And um, if you want to look hard for you know sources of criticism, well, you can actually look at the text of the last um, net neutrality um, regulation the FCC had passed. Um, the open internet order, which was recently overturned by the DC Circuit, actually expressly said that this does not make sense, that... Um, This is dangerous. Um, In fact, it's the open internet order said, if permitted to deny access or charge edge providers for priority, prioritize access to end users, broadband providers may have incentive to allow congestion rather than invest in expanding network capacity. Um, Broadband providers will be expected to set inefficiently high fees to edge providers because they receive the benefits of those fees but are unlikely to fully account for the detrimental impact on edge provider's ability and incentive to innovate and invest, including the possibility that some edge providers might exit or decline to enter the market. Um, Fees for access or prioritization to end users could reduce the potential profit that an edge provider would expect to earn from developing new offerings. And um, these are very serious concerns, and uh it, it, it should not be uh it's such a dramatic shift from the net neutrality proposals of from the same administration is it, is really unheard of um Democrats on Capitol Hill have objected um the Republicans are, are got a little bit of both flavors on this one and uh so but again this is not this is merely something being discussed at. Um, at, at the FCC, it has not been adopted. Um, although they are going to um, solicit comments on this, um, and then ultimately, this is the first step in uh, the regulatory process in, in establishing a new rule. Is an invitation to comment, and so that's where the FCC is going. Um, so that I think that's a, a significant development. And but I, I think um, in terms of where we're going. You have the, the EU, which actually just recently adopted a net neutrality proposal, and, uh, and here you have the SEC going the exact opposite direction. Right at a time when you know it had just you know only recently gone and you know, affirmed a very strong net neutrality stance. So it's very unfortunate, and uh, I, I think. It's misguided. Um, clearly, I, I, I haven't been hedging in my terminology on this. But uh, I, I, we'll probably have, um, we've, in the past, we've had some of the major um, actors in this. Um, Free Press, for example, has been a major advocate in pushing for um, the and defending the open access order, open Internet order of the FCC. And um, so we'll be, we'll be coming back to this as this develops. And it's an important issue. Um on a, a more um, less serious note, uh, but still a serious question is the, um, the 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 ability to restrict consumers in um, writing reviews on websites. And uh, so, for example, there was a, a notable case that um, attracted a huge amount of attention, um, and because the um, the website said that. And not only do you re- agree not to write a review of it, but if you do disparage it, you are you owe them a a, a set fee of thirty five hundred dollars. And um, that website in question was Clear Gear, which then, uh, when in response to one consumer writing a bad review on a product that was never provided, um, Sent them a check a bill for thirty five hundred dollars when they didn 't pay the amount right away, as, as they probably shouldn 't have um, it then immediately sent it to collections and uh, affected their credit standing and which led to a, um, a, a litigation by them trying to get their, um, get the thing reversed um, and as well as a huge international outcry really from the internet community on um, what a ridiculous and obnoxious um thing for a website to do basically you know they they complained they didn't receive um the and and, and a small product that was less than $20 but somehow they're supposed to be liable for $3500 and um and, and they then went to report report and uh complained about this and they were assessed $3500 and this went to court um the uh I believe it was the EFF that helped them um, in challenging this in court. And um, actually it was public citizen Paul Allen Levy and took it to the court and the court decided is that um, it was not enforceable and the judge uh, was ruling in favor of the consumer. Um, And parallel to that in California – A legislation is advancing that would restrict the ability of firms to do just that. To establish penalties uh, for on consumers for posting reviews, and um, since there have been a lot, there have been a number of efforts, particularly in the medical field, of doctors trying to restrict. Their, the ability to of um, write reviews, some of them actually going so far as including in their agreements that you sign while you're, you're sitting in the waiting room reading every magazine there is um, in assigning copyright uh, ownership in um, your review to them, so then therefore any review you posted, they are the owner they can take down and uh, so it's been an ongoing battle, I think uh, maybe the way to um, address that issue isn 't with uh, you know, trying to restrict the reviews, but maybe trying to increase the positive reviews um, that seems to be a, might be a more productive approach and um, it 's interesting we were actually um, going to be talking to someone in that space um, in, in a subsequent show, and just how few reviews are, are actually uh, obtained and that uh, a company can have a major impact just by increasing the number of reviews so rather than discouraging you can if you increase it um you can have a huge impact and just that the increase of a 3 star to a 4 star can mean all the difference in survival to an organization so um very interesting point um, and I'm glad to see that the, the clear gear ruling went the way it did and I think that's the appropriate result but um so that those are those are the type of stories that I'm sure. You know who really covered that story very well was Popat. Hat. Um, I mean, we've had them on um, in the past, and you know, it's uh, they're very good at you know, finding the the people that just deserve is you know, just the, every modicum of outrage that the internet mm-hmm. can sometimes yield, and uh, they were very good at channeling it um, their way. So, um, hats off to um, Public Citizen for their help in that area. Um, so. As we come to, as we close out the news segment, um, again, I want to thank everyone who participated in the Silicon Beach debate. It was very, uh, very much appreciated, and the enthusiasm is shown by the candidates. And um, so, but um, I'm glad we were able to do it, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to do it in the fall. But um, so, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to have Cy Lowell, and we're talking about Jasper's War and how it can help veterans. Of today's recent Iraq and Afghanistan efforts after these messages. Stay tuned
2: for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
0: Webmaster Radio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30 day trial. Go to shipstation.com slash webmaster radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Oh yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org.
3: You are dedicated and devoted to a life of developing new ideas and innovations. Willing to take calculated career risks, achieving independent wealth and success. Then you are ready to experience the entrepreneur effect. On demand anytime. Inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
2: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
4: Our next guest is Simon Lowell. He is the author of the best-selling Jaspers War, a novel. Um, Simon comes from an interesting background. He's a Vietnam vet and an international tax lawyer who apparently knows um a very good friend of mine from law school um keeping up the uh, small world uh, element and um Samuel, um can you hear us?
3: I can hear you just fine, thank you
4: great, welcome to the show and uh so um you you went into Vietnam at the age of eighteen into the navy i, I believe
3: um yes, my parents were university professors, and I went to a laboratory high school of Indian University. And to say that I was a terrible and undistinguished student, it would be an an over uh, giving me too much credit. And at age 18, my father gave me the choice of I could go to the Army for four years, the Marine Corps for three years, the Navy for two years, or I could go to the devil. Um, He said, because all I was interested in was partying. So I signed up for the Navy and got out of boot camp just in time for the Gulf of Tonkin and getting to spend two years in Vietnam.
4: Where in Vietnam were you?
3: In the northern part of the country, in uh, Da Nang and Chulai and Wei. Okay, uh, yeah, We were on the... the yeah, same same basic area. Yeah. Hmm. And we, we were in harbors and rivers, and um, it was wonderful duty.
4: So um, you are a, a tax lawyer and now an, an author of Jasper's War, which is a, a tale of intrigue <laughs> involving... Um, a, international crimes and the uh, murder of the Secretary of the Treasury. Can you tell us a bit about it?
3: Well, the book starts out with um, Jasper Moran, who is a um, rich socialite living in Greenwich, Connecticut. Her her husband is currently Secretary of the U.S. Treasury and uh, was formerly a senior partner in a large investment bank and a very wealthy fellow. And He's coming home from London urgently to talk to her and the FBI at a holiday party comes and tells her that his plane crashed into the Arctic Ocean and shortly thereafter her two children are kidnapped and then she receives a text from her husband's phone and again he's supposed to be at the bottom of the Arctic Ocean and it says that if she says if she repeats anything of what is understood her husband had told her, then her children will become, let's call it, shark stuff like her husband is. Wow. So she has to decide, do I sit here and let my children die or do I do something else? So she determines that she has to become a warrior and get the training to do uh, whatever is required to try to save her children.
4: Now, uh, being a a tax lawyer is is the... uh A plot that involves the the death of the Secretary of Treasury, is that like every tax lawyer's dream?
3: Well, I think every tax lawyer's dream is to be involved (laughs) in interesting and exciting things, and uh, I spend a lot of my daytime work dealing with the international tax issues of the digital economy, Uh, but I have to be honest and tell you, it's a whole lot more exciting to plunge into uh, thriller plots than it is to deal with those tax issues.
4: Now, in and thrill plot, you definitely provide. You have uh, assassins, mafiosos. Um, it goes from Australia out back to Rome in the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. So, this seems to be uh, have great visuals for a potential film adaptation. Has there been any bites so far?
3: Uh, nobody's bitten so far. Although the publicists I work with ask me to make up a. Um, not a movie script, but but the outline of of the treatment. say a page per minute how how it would be displayed and of course I wrote it and I think it'd be great but no, no bites yet.
4: Well, that's early, but um, so what's interesting about the book is um, you know, you're of the uh, you were in Vietnam so you're obviously in the Watergate generation, but then we're we're in this new age of of the whole distrust of wall street and the 1% and government and how do you this clearly a a book where the government seems to be part of an an assassination plot or some some nefarious plot Um, maybe that has always resonated but do you think that there's a certain resonance today because of the NSA and all these other scandals
3: oh I think so I mean Oddly enough, Michael Geithner, who was the Secretary of the Treasury during the uh, early parts, or I guess the latter parts of both the Bush administration and the Obama administration, and who was the lightning rod for the uh, financial institution bailouts, he just came out with his uh, autobiography, and the essential background of Jasper's war is those bailouts, and uh, the whole crux of Jasper's dilemma and the reason they killed her husband and stole her children was to keep her from in essence uh, betraying the government and advising that the money was actually being paid to the bad guys
4: and uh, how from is that is that a view that you you, you share
3: well who knows it, it it's fiction, but I think right. uh, even in Michael geithner's book he he Uh, makes it perfectly clear that the money went to bail out financial institutions, which meant the financial institutions used it to pay off their own debts, and um, at at least in a fictional sense, one could assume that if you trace the money back far enough, you'd find it's paid to people or institutions who were responsible for the underlying conditions that caused the financial collapse to start with.
4: Now, you know, tales of a palace intrigue—you know—go back, you know, far, far. I mean, you know, Lady Macbeth and and beyond that. Um, but do do you find that there's a greater resonance today, just because of some of the recent scandals? Well,
3: I think many popular um, thriller writers uh, deal with all kinds of issues, but the intersection of business and government and mayhem creates great opportunities for making tense stories.
4: Now, you're on. My, my go f- ahead.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, the, I'm not much of a TV watcher, but the, the, the show I do enjoy is called Homeland, and it starts again in September, I think, but it, it very much reflects the intersection of all these same kind of elements in a different type of, of storyline, but it's the same basic elements.
4: And, um, one thing I notice is with all the different locations Australia you know um, Monte Carlo Rome um when you when you travel to places do you do you sometimes think what what kind of story could take place here
3: mm sometimes but but as often as not um, when I'm composing a story, I'll think about places that I think would fit the story and, and it would be interesting, and I'm lucky enough to have been traveling my whole life, so, for example, in Jasper's War, all the places that are covered in Tuscany or Monte Carlo, I've been to many times, and towards the end of the process of writing this book, I just took a trip and went back to all those places just to make sure I had it all right. That's a good excuse. It's really tough duty, but somebody has to do it,
4: right? Right. Come on, Brasco. We're going to write a book. <laughs> now, um, the, um, w- how did this story come out for you? Was it, was it something that had just been percolating in you or did you decide you wanted to write something set in this genre or this time period?
3: Well, I, I love to write thrillers. Th- this particular story came from... Um, there's another manuscript that I wrote that I, I just finished it I guess it's a prequel to Jasper's War but two of the characters in Jasper's War were in that prior book and I was really just trying to figure out uh, I want to explore these characters more one is named uh, Chief Westbrook Bearstrike and in the books he he's the chief of the Cherokee Nation living in rural Oklahoma and sort of a Warren Buffett type of person and the other is the um, Australian half-breed Aborigine who trained Jasper to become a warrior and in Vietnam times we served with those kinds of Australians who were taken at the half-breeds taken at birth and the girls were sent to convents and the boys were trained to be killers in the time they are old enough to walk and in Vietnam times that was important because we, we needed people who could go down into uh, very small tunnels right. so I, those two, two tunnel. characters were in a prior story, and i just I was interested to to play with them some more, and I love to get into the emotions of characters and right about that time I started this was right about two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine and the financial crisis and and I just thought it was ripe for
4: uh thriller writing. So it definitely, yeah, it, how can you not, and you know, it's such a big story, and I just remember the headlines and how dramatic it was at that time. Um, now, you know, how much of you is in there, your experiences in Vietnam or other parts, how much is, is this really um, reflecting some of your own experiences?
3: Oh, well, I think I think it reflects all, almost all experiences. The only the only way you can write about something with any degree of realism is, is if you've actually experienced it. And an awful lot of what Jasper has to go through is in, in order to succeed at the various um, confrontations, let's say, that she has, she has to do things that she would never, ever have dreamed of, uh, both in terms of physical things or sexual things or emotional elements and she has to come to grips with what she's doing and why, and and the hope that she's able to save her children.
4: Now I was at a, um, I saw Senator George Mitchell, you know, who um, also was involved with the Good Friday Peace Accords after he left the Senate, and he had a book out I thought you know, I guess a biography and about his experience, and I happened to be sitting next to his agent, and um, when he heard that I was a lawyer, he immediately perked up, and he says, Oh, I love lawyers, they're the best clients. And uh, I guess because he, he felt that you know, lawyers, because of the way they're trained, tend to be good writers. And you know, have you, is, has being a lawyer helped you as a writer?
3: Oh, if anything, I, I think the being a lawyer has hurt me as a writer in the sense that I, I'm accustomed to writing <clears throat> over a 35 or 40-year career, long, detailed, careful analyses of things, and... uh to be a fiction writer is an entirely different approach and as i said i started jasper's war probably in 2008 or 2009 and when i was done with it i had some uh, friends who i respect and and uh, some thriller writers read it and they they in essence said hey this has some potential so I, i got involved with something called the international thriller writers association and engaged some uh, serious editors who, who others had recommended and I worked with them and it, it's it's taken two or three years um, to finish Jasper's War and then I went back and did a prior book that's in, in the commercial editing process now and I'll, I'll start doing the sequel but I, I think it's taken me a fair amount of time uh, to learn how to write like a fiction writer
4: yeah, it's others may
3: be more adaptable than I am
4: Yes, yeah, because as a tax lawyer, and I look. I'm holding the book. I'm looking at it, and there's not a single footnote. <laughs> so clearly, you made the jump um, from you know, from legal writing to fiction writing. Now, um, one thing that that's r- distinguishable about this book is um, you're donating all the proceeds of the book um, to a, a veterans' charity. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yes. Well, all the proceeds from the book and and hopefully movies go to buy voice-activated computers for veterans who can't use their hands. I came about a year, a year and a half ago to meet someone who's active with Soldiers' Angels, which is a national group of about 20,000 volunteers based in San Antonio. There's only four or five full-time staff members. They do all kinds of things for Veterans, but one of their projects is to buy the voice-activated computers. And when I looked into it, I found, to my horror, that there are 200 uh, men and women heroes on that list, and sometimes they're people whose hands have been shot off or burned, but in many cases they're uh, heroes who have brain damage through PTSD or other things, and their brain just doesn't communicate with their hands. So the Department of Defense would, would test Bennett, for example, to see if he really has injuries and then designs a software but does not provide the hardware. And the computers are, are very powerful to be able to run these programs. Um, and Soldiers Angels has that program, and so far we, we've awarded 10 out of 200 computers, and that's my dream to bring that list current. And I must say the process of awarding a computer to a young man or woman who uh, is a hero and, and offered their lives to their country but can't communicate on the Internet until they have this computer. It, it's just a wondrous emotional experience. It's, it's absolutely mm-hmm. incredible.
4: And um, it indicates that, um, it's, I was looking at some of the materials on Operation Next Chapter, uh, um, there are basically about a quarter of a million service members who have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury. Um, I just think that that's just since 9-11. And um, we have um, many troops coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan who have suffered major brain injury. And, um, you know, I actually got to meet um, the um, former news anchor for ABC, Bob Woodard, um, and saw him speak after his injury. And, uh, you know, he made a remarkable recovery. But, you know, he talked about how he had the benefit of having the best care available to him and said that there are a lot of people, you know, who suffer um, and That's are right. still suffering because of that. And so what um, has what, what been the response to um, when you can tell people that the proceeds go to this, this Operation Next Chapter?
3: Well, I, I think everybody appreciates the commitment of time and money to help our veterans, help our heroes who have this kind of serious injury. So um, I, I did not start out with the idea that it would be a good marketing plan for a, a thriller. I, I suppose it is, but uh, uh, actually the writing has become more important to me as a way of raising money to, to pay for these computers. I mean, it's, it's quite a transformation.
4: And, you know, and as we approach more, more of the weekend, you know, keep, keeping our veterans in mind is very important. Um, I just saw a recent statistic that um, nearly one out of every 10 homeless people in the United States is a veteran, and um, approximately 48,000 veterans of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq um, are currently Mm -hmm. homeless or at risk of homelessness, and so obviously, you know, keeping, as we celebrate this important holiday, um, remembering the role um, these um, heroes played and and making in, in honoring our commitment to them, clearly is something that we should keep in mind.
3: Well, for sure, and one one of the veterans that um, Soldiers Angels awarded a computer to is a fellow by the name of It's a Army Captain James Talk T H A C H Vietnamese actually, um, but Captain Talk was maybe age thirty thirty two something like that. Served three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and had so much shrapnel injury that he really can't bend over. Um, so he, he, he's erect all the time and he has to have somebody go with him to travel. But he, 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 he makes speeches and his topic is, is anti-suicide or suicide prevention. Yeah. And when I first started, I've worked with him twice now. And the first time I worked with him, I, I thought he was talking about depressed veterans. But half of his talk is about uh, support wives, children, parents of veterans who, who just lose hope of their loved one recovering. So it's it, as you said, it, it's a phenomenal
4: problem. Um, we're going to talk more about this after these messages. Um, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report on webmasterradio.fm.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com.
0: or visit affiliateoffersnetwork.com
2: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
4: And we're back with, um, listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, and we're talking to um, Simon Mole on his book, um, Jasper's War. And um, we were just talking about how the proceeds are going to Operation Next Chapter. And we were talking about some of the plight of some of the um, veterans from the uh, Afghan and uh, Iraq wars uh, of the last decade and uh, we were talking actually about the suicide rate and there's a, um, I see a statistic here that um, the suicide rate for Afghan, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans um, using VA health care um, in, in fiscal year 2006 was 38 suicides per 100,000 veterans which is more than three times the national suicide rate so it really is a problem and uh I mean even today still under you know for vietnam veterans you know I have a friend who uh you know only recently has been really making progress in dealing with post-traumatic stress from vietnam yeah. which was in you know, 40 years earlier and right. um so it's re- it's really important um you know to keep these these heroes in mind uh we we'll be celebrating Memorial Day weekend and um you know, remember all the veterans we've lost, both in war, and we're continuing to lose. Uh, my father actually was a World War II veteran, and um, the number of, of those veterans are just dwindling um, rapidly. Um, I think there's only there's less than a million um, left, I think. And uh, in terms of um, there's a, there's about a million left nationwide, and we lose about yeah, really? 555 each day. So oh, we, I remember we we, hmm. we did something uh, about a year ago. And I mentioned that, you know, during, during this broadcast, we will lose about eight um, during during the time of the broadcast. So, but um, very important. Now, um, do you do much with the Iraq war veteran war, or Afghanistan war veteran groups?
3: Um, o- only three soldiers, angels. And I, I served in Vietnam, and, and I must say that I've been active with VFW and other other type organizations like that, but in terms of outreach to try to help people other than contributing money, no. So th- this is my first experience of a- actually not just providing the money, but working to award the computers to veterans and, and help them in their processes like Captain Talk in New York.
4: And um, in, your, in your sequel books or your prequel books, um, do it, will. Will any of uh, this address, will this be reflected in, in the future works you have in terms of you know, the impact of the war on the veterans?
3: Um, well, it's very much involved in Jasper's War in, in terms of <clears throat> the character Nulandi, the, the half-breed Aborigine.
4: When
3: mm-hmm. I started the sequel, um, and, and one element of the sequel is is... Jasper then dealing with the reality of what she had to do I I don't want to talk about the plot or how
4: Jasper's war
3: ends but um, assuming that she's successful then she's had to do an awful lot of things that a socialite in in Greenwich, Connecticut would never even conceive of having to do and and like Afghan or Iraq veterans will, will have to come to grips with here's the reality of what I did
4: it was interesting that um you know we had recently um Ken Burns did the documentary based on World War 2 and uh he found that you know that it was a very stoic generation you know they didn't really talk much um right. <clears throat> and but you know some did and um he found that the ones who had never really told their stories um uh, when they um did open up it was, it was just incredible what he found. It was very vivid, and that the other veterans who had been telling the story over the years that the, the act of telling a story changes it, and um, and so it's just interesting how um, the process of you identifying and revealing something for the first time gives a certain freshness, and um, and so I, I imagine that's what we're finding on the pages of, of Jasper's War as well. Um, you know, revealing um, you know what what the what she had to go through um, to get to what, what may or may not happen at the end without, without giving anything away. Um, now we're, um, well. I'd
3: have to say is I'd I'd have to say as a writer I'm fascinated with the sequel to get into that. One of the questions that people ask me at live or recorded interviews is how does it feel to be a male trying to write about the emotional feelings of a female engaged in the kinds of things that Jasper did and my my answer to that is uh, I'm not sure there's any male or female difference there but I I do my best to put it into the context of a female but as a writer I'm just fascinated to see how uh, Jasper deals with these emotions, her her PTSD if you will, as, as she gets into the next story
4: there there's an interesting quote and I'm not subscribing to it but I'm just noting it um when Jack Nicholson's his last Oscar was was for playing a writer and uh, and someone um approached him and said you, know, you you write women characters so well how do you do it and he said you know quite obnoxiously um, well I assume a man and then I subtract reason and consequence <laughs> <laughs> But... <laughs> But you know that that you know, that was part of the character's arc because you know later in the in the uh, movie you know he had clearly had um, you know, moved from that view. Now one one question I ask I, you wrote a novel. Um, you know these days there's so many options for how one can communicate a story, whether it's done through um, a graphic novel, um, screenplays, um, theatrical plays. Or even you know spoken word. What? What? Why? Why'd you choose novel?
3: Well, I—that's I, <clears throat> that, a good question. I never thought about that one. I—I I, I enjoy the process of the um, framing a story, framing the characters in the story, seeing how they interact with each other and what their emotional reactions are. And I'm not sure you could do that. <clears throat> Um, in any format other than a um, a novel of 100,000 or so words, I'm sure it's possible to do it in a, a graphic <clears throat> novel, if you will, and you could certainly adapt it for a movie, but if I were trying, I could now adapt the story to a movie or adapt the story to a, a comic book, but to try to start out that way, i I don't think you could get into the detail of the emotional feelings without having to go all the way through the process
4: now in, obviously being a lawyer writing a book um, the issues of intellectual property come up and are you concerned about um, you know, piracy or the fact that someone may download your book improperly or you, you, just, you just want to get it out there
3: Oh, I really just wanted to get it out there, and and the only reason I'd be particularly concerned about um, piracy in that sense would be the the lost revenues to go buy more computers for our heroes. That's true.
4: I mean, that would be sad. Um, I like the artwork on the book. Um, Was that someone you knew, or?
3: No, I'm I'm happy to say that the publicist um, took care of that, and her name is Meryl Moss, who's officers are in in Connecticut who's superb Um, she asked me once upon a time if I had any thought about the cover design and I said no except I think it needs to convey the um, emotional commitment of somebody who's gone from being a socialite to being a warrior on the attack and I, I do not know who the artist is that came up with that but I think they did a great job
4: and um, do you think without giving too much away do you think your character Jasper is exceptional or that you think all of us would likely respond in the same way under the circumstances or is that the question we all have to ask ourselves
3: oh I think I think it's a question we we all ask ourselves and I think if you asked anybody if, if my children were threatened would I go to the end of the earth to get them back I think everyone would say yes <clears throat> but if the if what that involved was <clears throat> excuse me, if what that involved was giving up the life you've known, taking up a life of preparation, um intense preparation in, in a remote area of the world, then followed by one um type of combat after another for a period of time with no realistic hope of Success, I think the likelihood that all but a very few people would actually do that is remote. That's true. Unfortunately, not many people get stuck in that circumstance.
4: Very unfortunately, <laughs> but um, very fortunate are we to have you, um, you know, for this uh, discussion. And uh, I really want to thank you for joining us. If people want to find out more about you, Simon, where should they go?
3: They should go to a, a website at www dot sim c-y-m lowell l-o-w-e-l-l dot com right. www.simlowell.com
4: And is there an ETA on the sequel? Pardon me? Oh,
3: um, well, the prequel is done. I mean, the, the prequel is, is where the New London Bear Strike characters came from, and in the background of that story is the, the infamous Jewish gold of World War II that was never accounted for. And in this book, we learn what actually happened to it, and and out of it comes uh, these characters, Nulandi and and Bearstrike. This sequel I've started, and it's taking a current issue that I think is fascinating as background, and and then we'll have these characters thrust into a new dynamic, and and I'm hoping to have the text written within six months, which means it, it should be ready to be published in about one year.
4: Great. And then um, Soldiers Angels is at soldiersangels.org. And um, so I want to thank you for joining us again, and best of luck to you. That's Jasper's War, which is available through Rosemary Beach Press. Um, definitely check it out. Um, have a happy Memorial Day to you. Thank you, Bennett.
3: I enjoyed it Anytime. time.
4: I want to thank Mr. Lowell again for joining us, and uh, please check out the book, and more importantly, you know, check out the um, the, the charity. It's a very, very worthy cause. And um, we'll be. Um, that's all we have for now. Um, Join us next week. We're going to have uh, Professor Charles Elson. He's going to be talking about the uh, Mozilla OK Cupid lawsuit. And uh, what better way to sign out for for uh, a show that is on iHeartRadio. Um, So thank you again for joining us. Uh, This is Bennett Kelly. You've been listening to the Cyber Law Business Report. Be sure to download our mobile app and take us wherever you go. Um, This quarter is adjourned. We'll see you next week. Um, Have a good week, and have, have a happy Memorial Day.